Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, he was such a big help to me and, and to Eddie. And uh, he came up with, he, he and, I don't know if he or Eddie came up with the idea of giving your mother, your grandmother, a oh, heart attack God. on Mother's Day weekend in El Paso while she was honoring your grandfather, Gory Guerrero. Brother, but, that, that made the, the heat that you got from that. Oh my God. And it was a house show and they, 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 they videoed it. Oh my God. What? Yeah, they had, to, they had to give me a police escort out of El Paso and they made me drive all the way to Odessa. They said, if you stay in town, we can't guarantee somebody won't kill you. So, <laughs> they wanted to kill you. and that, They wanted to kill you. Yeah, they did. Well, it, was, it was pretty hairy. Were you in town at that, uh, that event, Chavo? I was there. I was there and I remember because my was dad. What was reaction? I mean, you guys, I mean, you, you guys have been in business forever, know, 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 know the business of what it is, but still, that's your, that's your grandmother right there. It was my dad's idea. My dad wanted to do it. He wanted, he wanted my dad, my grandma to take a bump. He did. Well, he probably yeah. got it off a of pipe. And, and Eddie was like going, a donkey. <laughs> yeah, Eddie was going, she's 80 years old. What do you mean she's <laughs> taking a bump? Not take a bump. You could do a heart attack and, and John played it off perfect where he kind of, he didn't touch her, but kind of, and she had the heart attack. And I remember watching it with Vince and Vince was like, cause my grandmother, you know, she was part of the Russian business because that was our business. So she used to take tickets, ticket sales and work concessions. And she knew all the, you know, count the money and pay the wrestlers and stuff back in the day. So of course this, our promotion had been long gone, but when she even walked, got into the ring, I remember Vince going, oh, my, she didn't even know how to get in the ring correctly. This is amazing. It, you know, and Vince's voice and, man, that was uh, what I was watching. I think as I was up, me and Eddie had already split and I was already, uh, you know, doing the cruiserweight thing. And I was a heel and um, Eddie was running with, with Big John. And, uh, man, it was, it was such heat. They just played it off so well. That, that whole that yeah. whole angle. That whole marriage, your guys' marriage was so good. It was so good. I mean, you did so many different things. It was great. What we did with, what we did with the grandmother, uh, Eddie's mom, was uh, I put my hand on her shoulder, but that allowed, right. her, that allowed her to grab my hand and help herself down. So it looked oh. like I was throw, pushing her down, but she she had that was her way right. of not having to take a bump. And I'm, I'm three feet from her, an arm length, and I'm right. thinking this woman has just had a heart attack. I'm like, is there a Guerrero that can't work? It was unbelievable. Vicky and the kids were screaming at ringside. Eddie's yeah. in the ring. The place is dead silent. And Eddie yeah. goes, you better get the fuck out of here, S.A. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to kill you. And they had, and extra, we, they had extra and state it, troopers around the ring to get me. Yeah, and it was, that was at the Coliseum. It wasn't at the, the Don Haskins Arena at UTEP. It was at the, the old Coliseum that we used wow. to run it. Man, bro. It was amazing. It was just the electricity in there that I, I can't explain it, man. It's very hard to to do. You, it's just magic. You guys know when that. It's just and after, was, that after that, we were in the southwest a bunch. You know, huge oh. Hispanic crowds. 
I had to have protection. We had guys jumping in the ring. It was unbelievable. We went from not knowing if we could sell at the Staples Center to setting an attendance record in the Staples Center after That's that right. after the video area. That's right. That's right, man. You know, and I I was remember you saying too, like, hey, there would be no JBL without Eddie Guerrero, and that was the, right. that was yeah, man, hundred percent. I was uh, in the back when your dad pitched the idea to me. So th this is awesome. So so just like two typical <laughs> brothers. So uh, Chavo Senior is pitching the idea, and Eddie's there listening. And and Chavo you, and Eddie, you could tell, you know, Chavo was wanting Chavo was wanting your mom to take it home. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Eddie's going. Shadow, she's a 74-year-old lady. I have her she was just she's not taking a bump. And Chavo, Chavo now knows he's got it, you know. And Eddie <laughs> knows Chavo's working him up, but they're brothers. It doesn't matter. Eddie's still getting worked up. So it's finally Chavo says, okay, how about John just hits her with a little lariat? <laughs> a little lariat. A little lariat. Eddie, Eddie a goes, little. No, Chavo. He goes, okay, 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 Eddie. He goes. How about big boot and mom gets a little color? <laughs> and, now, and now I think Eddie and Chavo are going to fight. And I'm the only one in the dressing room with them. And I'm like, guys, please. <laughs> it's a wonderful idea. I really don't want to see a brother fight right now. <laughs> I, I don't think there, a little lariat is even in your repertoire. <laughs> no. It was so good. When he, when he said, and then mom gets a little color. And Eddie, Eddie gets so mad. And the good part was Eddie knew your your dad was working him up, and he still got mad. They're brothers. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's that's. You, my dad, you got to push his buttons, man. My dad, he knew how to push all of our buttons. Uh, one thing I read in your book, and I got the honors. Thank you very much for uh, thank you writing the forward along with Edge, uh, which is really cool and a terrific honor. Uh, but I read about Wrestler's Court, and <laughs> your rendition of it is pretty much exactly as it happened. I mean, most people, it's funny, but, you know, and our memories get bad with age, you know, so we, we remember something 20 years ago. It's not like we're lying. We just yeah. don't remember events in the correct order and names are wrong and stuff. But your rendition was a <laughs> pretty, pretty freaking accurate. Because, yeah, well, that because it was – like it was probably the most, I always say it's, it's probably the, the best moment of wrestling for me, like funniest. Cause I just, I cried laughing the whole time. It was so much fun. So do uh, you want to set it up and I'll go. Yeah, you know, wrestler's court people, people talked about it on the sneak of wrestler's court. It was one of the most fun things we ever did. The boys yeah. looked forward to it for weeks and you sometimes there was an underlying current that there was a shoot about something. Most of the time there wasn't. It was just a chance to do something fun. We didn't have social media. We didn't have the internet. This was our entertainment. And some didn't of those, have all those video games in the back or anything. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Some of those wrestlers' courts were some of the greatest things I've oh. ever seen in the history of this video. It was also <laughs> Taker. Taker was normally the judge. Kane, uh, yeah. our godfather, was the bailiff. Yeah. I was the prosecuting attorney, and then everybody else was in the jury pool, and then Taker would, would render his verdict. So yeah, that but Taker was out at that moment. That's at right. That point in time. And so Triple H took over the role, the robe of, yeah. of the Undertaker. Right. And what, right. what happened was is we had caught Teddy Long. For one, Teddy Long's the cheapest man <laughs> in the history. Teddy would turn into Galileo when we go through a toll booth. You know, <laughs> it, it, just Teddy wouldn't pay for nothing. And yep. then finally, it was right when Viagra first came out. And so Teddy was getting them free from some, some doctor. <laughs> and, 
<laughs> and and <clears throat> the boys found out about it and they're going, hey, can I get some of those? And Teddy was selling them yep. to the boys. <laughs> so we took him to court for being a cheapskate. So I that, believe the charges were not cheapskate. It was cheap motherfucker is what it was. <laughs> <laughs> that was the official court charge. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Great. Uh, so I, I, I remember just, I, we, it was almost like a class, a court setting, but you had, we had desks for some reason in this one room. Cause uh, I remember having a spit cup and, and some tobacco and, and Kurt and I was, Kurt Angle was next to me and we laughed so hard. I mean, I, we were holding each other up at one point, but, so the charges came up and, you know, Hunter told you, you stood up and I remember to Hunter right in front of you was uh, Papa, Godfather. He was standing there and he had his arms crossed and all, all very, you know, all very official like. And then uh, you got up and said how, you know, he was, you know, at times, like you said, going through the, you would go to a toll and he'd be making like he was fumbling through his pockets <laughs> and then the money would come out as you were already like yeah. 20 yards past the toll and uh so <clears throat> he, all these different charges but it was the, the official like you said the official thing was he was a cheap motherfucker yeah so all the charges came up and we're all laughing i mean the, the place was first of all it was packed to the gills and uh i remember hunter says he, he turned after all the everything all the evidence was brought up he turned to me he goes uh well teddy you're pretty much fucked he said, "You have anything to say for yourself?" And he and Teddy stands up. Let me interrupt. Also, the, yeah, judge, yeah, yeah. the judge's orders were also: you must tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, unless you can tell a better lie. Yes. So that was, <laughs> that was you. Can, I forgot that part. You can, so make, the, shit, you can make shit up. You can do whatever you want in wrestlers' court. It didn't that's right. True. You just be entertaining. Right. And Hunter even said it in the beginning of wrestlers' court. He said. Wrestling court is different from any other court for, for the people that haven't been there. You could lie, cheat, steal, whatever you got to do, bribe people to get, to get yourself up yeah. to, to win the case. So he, he goes through that whole thing and, and Teddy stands up and he goes, very animated. Your Honor, I'd like to call a, a what was it, a, a character, character witness? Character, yeah. Character yeah. witness. May Young. And right alone, that alone got the crowd to pop. And uh, so she comes walking up and, and uh, she says, I don't understand you wrestlers with your big dicks needing that Niagara. <laughs> yeah. And the fucking, the place went nuts. So, and then, that was the last thing we expected to happen. <laughs> and then Hunter to just add fuel to the fire. He's like, well, you know, mate, Niagara, some guys feel more comfortable. They want to use the Niagara and all that. And he kept saying Niagara, which has made the whole thing even funnier. And then, so at the end of the, 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 the is there, I don't know if there's any more to it, but the, the final verdict was he had, he had to give you guys ch chicken and I don't know how many cases of beer, yeah. right? Was yeah, that for the beer for us. I can't remember how much we had to have a bucket of chicken. It may have been more than one, but he had to buy us. Uh, <laughs> me and Ron love fried chicken. So we had <laughs> a bucket of chicken and beer. And, and Teddy, had, I don't remember how much the total was, how many days it was. But that was the uh, verdict that Teddy was found unanimously guilty. <laughs> but incredibly entertaining. I'm sitting there like Effley, I'm sitting like Effley Bailey. I'm thinking I'm the dream team. I think I got this thing wrapped up. And all of a sudden, uh, May Young gets up and starts talking about Niagara and penises. <laughs> oh, my God. God bless you. That was so funny. But I remember before, 
before the whole thing, before we all went in, I didn't know what was going on. We were all kind of sitting out in the arena and someone said, we have wrestlers court. And I was like, what's that? And they're like, they're like you don't want to miss wrestlers court. And I was like, thank God I didn't miss that because that was just, that was, that was worth every bit of it. That was, that was one of, that was probably the funniest time I've ever had in, in my three years there. You know, you know, those things were so great for the morale of the of the town and, and of the office guys, too, because, you know, we're all stressed out of TV. And I would think that was probably the third day of three TV shoots that you go 20 hours a day working. And so you get a little relaxation like that. And like like you guys explained, you know, you lie cheating still, you know, as long as you do that, present a good case to be entertaining. That's, that's all we're looking for. It, Nobody took it serious, you know, except Teddy when he had to go buy that chicken and get the AP. <laughs> but everybody walked out of there in a good mood, and the rest of the day just kind of flew by because of those things. I get in the car. We go back to Greensboro, get to the Coliseum in Greensboro, and they tell us, uh, yeah, no one's showing up because they decided to cancel. By this time, it's 2 o'clock in the morning or whatever it was. You know, they decided to cancel rehearsal, so we come back tomorrow. So I'm like, well, that's great. Uh, you know, we're going to rehearse this thing. And now we're not going to rehearse the thing. We'll just fire this deal up live. Okay. Sounds like a wonderful plan. So get to the arena the next like day. You're, you're getting set on fire. Yeah, I'm getting set on fire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, we don't need to rehearse <laughs> So they brought some stunt people in from Hollywood to do the burn. And I had like this faux, um, faux sleeve. I was wearing two sleeves at the time. No, I'm sorry. That was when I had the one sleeve outfit. But the the sleeve was like, uh, now they have the the technology with pyro is is uh, they can actually do like on skin burns because they have the a cooling gel that you wear and the accelerant and they're one solution. Well, back then it was it was different. They had a cooling gel and they built me the sleeve and it had the Nomax or whatever it is that the race car drivers wear and cooling gel. And on the outside, they're going to slather this pyro gel that burn. It, it burns, but not really super hot, but it's still, you know, 250 degrees or 300 degrees, whatever it is. So a few hours before the show starts, I get to meet with the stunt people from Hollywood. And this is where I, this is where it was really comforting. Because they're like, okay, um, so you guys are going to do this live, right? I'm like, yeah. And they go, yeah, normally it takes us a week to prepare for a burn. I'm like, yes, this sounds awesome. <laughs> so, so we go out behind the arena and uh, they put some fabric on my arm and the cooling gel, the fabric, and then the accelerant and light my arm on fire. So I'm looking at my arm on fire and I go to move. No, 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 don't do that. Don't, don't move that way. You have to keep the arm, your arm behind you and keep your, keep the flame behind you. Because if you go this way, you'll inhale the flames, which will go into your lungs, which will probably kill you. So, okay, cool. That's good. To know. Um, <laughs> and as soon, as soon as you feel any tingling whatsoever, you hit the ground because that means that the cooling gel has evaporated and you have about a second before you start getting third degree burns. Okay. Again, nice to know. So then we go out, we do the match. Like you said, John, it was, it was a 30 minute match. Um, uh, the, the, the problem with the Inferno match is a great concept. And uh, I thought that was actually technically one of the better matches that Mark and I had, but it was hard the, at, at the time, you know, you beat your opponent by setting him on fire, but the dadgum flames were so hot. You couldn't get within five feet of them. You know, and Mark and I, of course, we all we both have long hair and all that stuff. So uh, they 
sprayed us down with all these chemicals to keep us from burning. But nevertheless, in the back of my mind, I'm like, if we get too close to this thing, we're both going to go up. Um, and then go through the match. Um, it's half an hour match or whatever it was. And at this point, we do the stunt. Um, and that was great because my one arm was the arm that's supposed to be set on fire. And I get hit, something happens anyway. Um, I'm pantomiming with this arm, which is not the arm that's supposed to get on fire. This actually went up against the, the uh, grating where the flame was. So that burned me badly. So I'm doing the ow while this arm's getting hit on the other side to get, to get set on fire. Um, and then I have to pantomime, of course, that my arm is set on fire while also remembering not to in inhale the flames, which will kill me. And as soon as I start feeling any sort of tingling with 20,000 people screaming, I'm supposed to hit the ground and trust that uh, they're going to hit me with fire extinguishers before my arm burns up. So it was, uh, it was really not a lot of pressure at all. So your one arm is on fire, <coughs> but you're having to sell the other arm that is the working this arm. Is no, I can't sell this arm, but this is the arm that actually hurts, but this is the arm that's on fire. Yes. <laughs> and I don't know what could go wrong. You've got 20,000 people who aren't in on it that yeah, are right, all exactly. around you in the crowd. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're all screaming and yelling. And my only thought is, is that a, is that a tingle or can I hold on for another second? <laughs> <My heart's burning. laughs> yeah, your mind will race. The one is hot. I feel, I feel there. It had to be hot yeah. in the ring. I mean, we, I remember when you guys were setting up. I was there that day. It was it was hot just to yeah. be around it? But being in the ring, yeah. you guys had to. It had to be scorching in there. Yeah, yeah, it was. And of course, every time you take a bump or have a big move, they'd shoot the flames up. Um, <laughs> So yeah, it was it was hot and and seriously, you 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 couldn't get within about three feet of the flames before it became yeah. very uncomfortably hot. Glenn, you know, like, Glenn, Glenn, I don't know if you remember this, but I was I was at I was doing I was the flame man. I had to set at ringside there, and I was on headset with yeah. Vince. I was on headset with Vince, so of course Vince, you know, he gets in those playful moods, and you know, you got to go along with him. So, you know, you got. He gets in a playful mood, and I'm staying in the barbecue pit. Yeah, yeah, you guys <laughs> get barbecued, and so you guys would get closer and hit him. Well, I was I was instructed just on the bumps what I what yeah. I what I hit the hit the flames that I'd shoot up, and like you said, it was so hot sitting there, but you guys would just get close to it. And Vince would want me to hit the damn flame. So no, man, don't that blame was... that on me. It was all Vince my fans. No, and then, and you know, seriously, they would when they would hit the uh, the gas and shoot those flames up. I mean, it it was like opening a stove. Yeah. I mean, it was right, boom, it was hot. Get all the shit done. And that's the only thing I remembered for is Adrian Adonis. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great story. I guess it's because everybody was scared to death, Adrian, for some reason. You know, like I said earlier in this broadcast, you know, I, I grew up on the streets of Del Mabry. I mean, you know, running that, doing all the crazy shit I used to do down there. And and this guy's going to come in and try to bully me. I said, what the fuck? See, it started the night before in, in, uh, in Canada where we used to do our tapings out, right outside Toronto. And uh, they were getting him over, you know, trying to get him over for Hogan and stuff to a run. So he was getting fed a lot of the underneath guys. And, you know, he would take advantage of them. And I saw him doing that. And, you know, and I hear the guys complain, you know, about him cussing them out and talking stupid and, and really kicking them and stuff. So I worked with him 
that night and uh, he started doing that same shit with me and you know i finished the match with him and i went back in the dressing room and dynamite and davy boy and scott mcgee already had my stuff and they pulled me out of the uh, the coliseum and took took me back to the hotel you know because they knew i was pissed well the next night we're in flint michigan the first time we ever went to flint and it was sold out ten thousand people so the main event was supposed to be um, George the Animal Steel against Adrian. Well, <clears throat> Pat Patterson comes to me and says, look, you're going to have to work with Adrian tonight. I said, I don't want to work with Adrian. And he comes back a little bit later. He said, you work with Adrian. Adrian don't want to work with you either. <laughs> I said, well, good. He said, but Vince says y'all are working together. I said, okay. So I started taping my hands up, you know, boxer type tape taping job and so you know i just made up my mind before i went out there that if he starts his shit i'm gonna beat the fuck out of him i'm sorry no cussing there but anyway <laughs> that's right <laughs> but uh you know and so we get in the ring and same crap started and he started kicking me really hard and he's gonna put a sleeper on me he started putting it on i said nah this ain't working so i just came out of it and i just started beating on him you know and so he falls down knocked out I cover and the ref says, that's not the finish. I said, I changed it. He's not going over. <laughs> so then, you know, I guess it was Jimmy Brunzel was watching the match from the apron, from the back. He said, Spivey's killed Adrian. Spivey killed Adrian. And so I go into the locker room and here he comes through the doors, goes and tries to leg dive me and I offer him to split him wide open. And so they're holding me against Dog and Jake are holding me and Dog's, you know, and they got me and he's loose and they, they're saying, here comes Spidey, here he's coming, here he comes, here. So they let me go and I hit him again, split him open. And that's when Randy Savage pulled me out of there and took me down to his dressing room, got me ice for both hands. Both my hands were just really swollen, probably, you know, just, you know, and that was that. So next night I had called, next day I was told call Vince. And so I called Vince, he says, look, Dan, I can't have you beating up my talent. I said, Vince, he's very talented. <laughs> and he didn't like that remark. He says, you know what I'm talking about? I said, okay. So anyway, so the next night I show up in, um, where were we that night? I don't know, Pennsylvania somewhere. And I'm sitting in the locker room. He comes in, he's all stitched up and everything. And he starts saying shit to me. He said, I don't know people who will take care of things for me. And, I, and, and Morocco's sitting next to him. He said, Adrian, keep your fucking mouth shut. <laughs> so anyway, that was that. I saw him and uh, Rivera's over in Japan two nights before, two weeks before he died in the wreck. So, you know, we had a beer and everything was okay. So. Bob Orton. Bob Orton was on the show with us, our friend Bob, and uh, he's my first tag partner in Japan. He told me, he said, the rib was on me. I'm the one that had to take Adrian to the hospital. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, Adrian came back and told Bob Orton, he goes, hey, I'm going to go over there to the dressing room and go after uh, Spivey. And Orton said, don't do that. He said, "I'm look, I'm friends with Dan. I'm friends with you. Don't do that. There's no need for that. But that's when Adrian came over to you. So that was the story we came back to Bob. And Bob was the one that ended up having to take him to the hospital. So Bob thinks the rib was on him. Oh, I didn't know that part of it. 
<laughs> We're an informative show here, Dan. The 2005 Royal Rumble with the kind of botched finish between John Cena and, and Batista. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Here, here's an example. So, so Charles and I are representing the SmackDown side, and I think it's Jack Doan and Chad are on the raw referees out there for the rumble they go into the finish the finish uh edge was the third last guy out and then it left john and and dave as the last two guys in so the finish was they both go over the top dave hooks the top rope john hits the floor winner of the royal rumble going on to challenge at wrestlemania dave batista unfortunately they both went over dave went to hook missed they both land on the floor and all four of us went and then you, Mr. Briscoe, <clears throat> yell, one of the raw refs go over there uh, and raise Dave's hand because that was the finish. So, you know, Jack went over there, raised his hand or Chad, whoever. But then I guess the, they saw it on the replay and you couldn't have planned it any better. They landed at exactly, exactly the same time on the floor. So then you said one of the SmackDown refs go over there and raise John's hand. And so we run over there and we're doing the battle back and forth. He won. No, he won. He won. While this is going on, you're screaming and the other refs go find Eric Bischoff and Teddy Long, who are the respective general managers, Eric for Raw and Teddy for SmackDown. So we're hearing this in our earpiece. Where are they? Somebody look for them. Apparently, I, I, as legend would have it, they decided to depart early. <laughs> so all of a sudden while we're doing our he won he won he won here comes uh mr mcmahon the chairman of the board storming <laughs> out from gorilla and when we look down i mean okay he took off his red, red face and everything red face Ooh. from chewing my ass out in the back there so he had to go out and solve the problem <laughs> so here he comes he comes storming and he takes off his blazer and he throws it down and, you know, you can tell the difference between Mr. McMahon angry and Vincent Kennedy McMahon angry. And, and he's mad. That. He's pissed off at this time. Madder than a hornet. <laughs> like he, so he hey, comes hey, down. Jerry, Jerry, wait a minute. Is he mad because Bischoff and Long are gone? Teddy are gone? Or is he mad because the finish didn't go as planned? Everything. <laughs> and everything was my fault because Bruce wasn't standing there. So it was, it was, it was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, Bruce Brinton, got my ass chewed out again. But yeah, he was mad at that. Where the hell, well, Briscoe? You can't let these guys leave. I mean, I, I mean, but he's a fucking like, Jerry, like you sitting there with your stopwatch talking to the refs, you told them they could leave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hell, and I'll do it oh, myself, my man. And he hits that, he hits that curtain. And when he comes through the camera, pick, he was blood ass red, wasn't he, Jimmy? By the time oh. I got down there. Oh. He, he just didn't have his wits about him for one time. And he slid in there and take over, Jimmy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Here he comes. He dives under the bottom rope. He goes to stand up. And here he goes down. And he's sitting on his butt, <laughs> leaning against the ropes. And we're all stunned. And I, I still bug Chad to this day saying, you let Mr. McMahon fall. Uh, because he was the one closest to him and backed up right. when he saw him going down. So we're all wondering, what the heck is going on here? What's it going? And he's going, come here, Rana. You know, like in, in Vince that. And he basically telling us restart the match and they'll redo the finish, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But we didn't know at the time that he had torn both quads. We were just right. wondering why he was sitting there not getting up. It did, you know, it didn't put two and two together. And then he, 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 after he did his deal and finished chewing everybody out, 
he rolls out of the ring and everybody went to go help him. And he says, get away from me. And he made it to the back by himself. He would refuse help. So here's a man with two torn quads getting back there by himself. And I don't know what happened when he got back there, but I was afraid oh, to go back there. <laughs> yeah, you should have been. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But, uh, you know, people talk about how tough Vince is. My goodness. I can't imagine having two torn quads and refusing help and making it back there on his own. Amazing. Yeah, people talk about the stories, the urban legends. The truth mm -hmm. about him is far exceeds any urban legend there is. And he is a once in a lifetime individual. And I, I remember it like it was yesterday. Like we had to attack you guys. And I said, Devon, no matter what we do, whether we take care of them, whether we beat the shit out of them, they're going to beat the shit out of us. So we might as well give it to them first and show them that we're, we respect them, but we're not afraid of them because they're going to hand us our ass anyway. And that first night, I cracked you with that two-by-four. Oh, my God. <laughs> Bubba, Jerry, Bubba hit me so hard with that two-by-four. I lost feeling in my feet and my hands. Wow. That's love how hard he hit me. I literally am sitting there thinking, he just paralyzed me. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I don't, I've never, I don't, of course, I haven't been hit by many two-by-fours. I wrestle hacksaw very often. <laughs> I've never been hit like that in my life. Wow. And Jerry... I didn't want to hit. I didn't want to use a two by four because it's hard to work a two by four. Yeah. You can't get a grip. So I remember, I remember going to you guys, and I was like, uh, "Ron, I'm like trying to be so humble and nice. I'm like, you know, the two by four. It's kind of hard to get a grip. You know, maybe we could use." And Ron cuts me off, and he goes, "You do know how to work a two by four, don't you?" <laughs> I said, yes, sir. No There's no problem. good answer to that. <laughs> you say no, you're like, huh? Yes, <laughs> and then there was that live shot that we did on Monday Night Raw, where I think we laid you guys out again. And now, Jerry, we're on the Raw set, and we're going to get interviewed by Michael Cole. And this is live, live. And, and understand, we have had the the living hell beat out of us like no one had ever beaten it out of us. And we, we just, sold, you know, we sold it, didn't have a lot of choice, sold it and stayed <laughs> down. So now it's our turn. And now we're going to go live and Ron and John are just right off the set. They're waiting to do their run-in on us. And about a minute before we go live, Jerry, I remember looking and all the boys started to filter into the backstage area to watch this live shot. And when I saw that, I knew something was you about know. to go down. I just, me and just, all right, whatever. You know, here it comes. And, you know, we're going to go live in five, four, three, two, one, and we start talking. And I can see steam coming out of Ron and Sean's noses. They were ready to kill us. And that's exactly what they did. They hit the set. They beat the crap out of us. Ron Simmons is picking up a 50-gallon drum, yeah. a shoot 50-gallon drum, and just having his way with the both of us. <laughs> they beat us up so freaking bad. And then when they yelled, cut, me and Devon got up. We shook their hands. And I think from that moment on, John, oh. everything was totally fine. Everything was fine. You know, we didn't tell any of the boys. You know, we didn't make you know, make a big deal out of it. You know, obviously, we're going to get ours back. But 
and the boys just knew because they had seen what had happened yeah. to us. And they drive that we we took it straight back to the Dudleys as best we could. And as soon as they done, Dudleys got up and said, Hey, thanks, guys. And we said, Thanks. And that was it. Yep. We were we were good friends from that second forward and worked together so many freaking times. And Jimmy, you were the referee for the uh, match with uh, in Pittsburgh with uh, me and Ron and Public Enemy. I know exactly where you're going with this. Yes. <laughs> what yeah. would Gerald Briscoe say to you then? I was going to ask about that next, and I'm glad you jumped in there, John. <laughs> uh, let me let me preface this. Okay, so you know I have the match. It's you, I get you and uh, Ron against Public Enemy, and I go to the ring like first, like everybody else. So I don't know what's happening up at Gorilla before they walk out. But you correct me if I'm wrong. Did they not? Did they or did they not say to you guys we're not doing the finish or we don't? They said to me. So yeah. their their music's playing literally playing we, we went over the match we went over everything everything was agreed mm -hmm. to, you know and it's yeah. not our finish so it's not a it's not like me and ron created the finish you, right. you know given to us by the office same as it was given to them by the office they turn to me and say hey we don't want we're not gonna do that spot with the table well that's the finish and we're setting up the first table match in, in wwe we're gonna probably put them over i have no idea what we're gonna do the pay-per-view but it, that was their match so we'll probably put them over don't know that, but they said, we're not doing this uh, spot with the table. I said, that's the finish. And they said, yeah, we don't want to do that spot. I said, okay. <laughs> they but they didn't offer an alternative. They didn't say, hey, we're not, we don't want to do a spot. We're going to do a DQ. We're going to do this. We're gonna, we want to put you through it. They didn't offer any alternative. So mm -hmm. Ron turns to me, he goes, what was that? And I said, they don't want to go to the table. And he said, well, we'll take the table to them. <laughs> that was it. and jerry asked us he said what's going on now the music's now our music's playing by this time and i said i really don't know and he goes you guys going over i said we are <laughs> I said, I don't know what say. 15 seconds or 15 minutes but we're going over so that's what happened before we walked out we we walked down there thinking we don't know what we're walking into we assume it's a fist fight is what we think we're walking into Man, I'm down at the ring. I'm assuming it's going to be just like you guys had talked about. And all of a sudden, here comes we Public agreed Enemy. to everything, and you were there. Yeah. We agreed to it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Public Enemy comes down. They do their entrance and the whole bit. And then here comes Ron and John, and they have this different look on their face. Not, not the APA look. This is like Ron and John coming out of a pub ready to, you know what I mean? And I'm like, oh. That's that's a that's a nasty look. That's awesome. Then as soon as they hit the ring, boom! Oh, that was snug, and it just it was a beating. And these guys were getting their asses beat. And I'm thinking to myself, what is going on here? And I'm hearing, and I, and I'm not hearing anything yet from Mr. Briscoe. You know, the bell rang, the whole bit, and stuff like this. And they're going on, and they're just you guys just. You guys put a, laid a number on them. Let's put it. And that it way. wasn't a hardcore match, so I mean, <laughs> no, it was supposed to be a regular tag, right? Yeah, but th there was no tag, and it was like a Texas tornado match where everything goes, and you guys were knocking the living snot out of these guys. Finally, after a couple of minutes of this, I, I, I think I don't know, Mister B, you could tell me if you were enjoying what was going on, but all of a sudden, uh, Gerald says, uh, "Jimmy." You may want to think about ringing the bell to end this thing anytime now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I went ding, 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 but the mugging kept going and, you know, match was over and you guys, you know, I thought, oh boy, I'm going to witness a fight in the back. You know what I mean? And they came back, shook your hands, yep, said right thank on. you. And I went, 
what did I just witness here? You know? We thought the same thing. We thought, well, the fight's going to happen in the back. So we went back to grill. We waited for him right there. We assumed that's where the fight's right. going to happen. And they came back through, said, thank you, shook our hand and left. Yeah. Hey, and left. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and left. yeah, left. <laughs> it, it was funny because because Mr. V says to me, he says to me, what took you so long to ring the bell? And I was like, I'm waiting for you. <laughs> I don't know. I was stunned because, you know, I was expecting the match you guys had laid out. Next thing you know, it was a mugging. And he had the legendary, depends on who you uh, believe, you know, how far it went. The altercation was Steven Seagal. Um, I'll tell you the exact story. I was at his house when he got fired. Really? Oh, this oh is my no, God. Yeah, please no. tell the story because there's so many urban mm. myths about that, uh, what happened. Gene doesn't get mad at me for telling this. He loves it. Um, so he was on the set of Under Siege and he was the fight choreographer. And to know Gene is to know he's been a stuntman in Hollywood since before I was born and I'm 46, okay? So he's always the old redhead guy that gets beat up and somehow can still take a big time bump at 137 years old. <laughs> That's so, like Richard Briscoe. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> so he's, he has a stopwatch to make sure that his guys, when they're doing their fight choreography, are in time for what the director's needs are. He always wears it around his, his, uh, his neck. His, he did it on every, uh, every movie that he did this on. And Steven was going way too hard. Oh, I'll tell you a great cigar story for this too. Steven was going way too hard on his, on all of Gene's guys and not pulling his punches and just straight up wailing on him and saying, I want it to look real. And Gene had a confrontation with him and he said, it's the director's job to make it look real. That's why he put the camera here. And that's why he puts the camera here. It's your, it's my guy's job to make you look great. And it's your job to protect my goddamn men. And Steven didn't like that. And so he had a problem. Gene went back to the director. They did the take again. Steven didn't pull any punches. And uh, Gene takes off his stopwatch that he times the fight thing for. He puts it around the neck of his assistant and he says, keep this. When I get back, I'm going to be fired. And he walks up to Steven, front chokes him, yanks him in, rips him up like this. And Steven pissed his pants and dropped to the ground. And Gene comes home pissed. I'm in his condo with his wife and my godfather, okay? And he had Playboy TV back in like the <laughs> back in the 80s on a satellite. And they would I would sneak in and watch it from time to time. I loved going to Uncle Gene's house. And so he comes in and he's pissed. I mean, he comes in, the door swings open, blam, blam. And I hear him tell the whole story, cussing like a sailor. To Bob, I don't. I think Pat Johnson was there, who was another old school martial arts badass. Um, uh, Burleson was there. A whole gang of just old school killers, and all these guys called Stephen out on the cover of Black Belt Magazine and said, "We think you're bullshit. We all want to fight you." And it was all because of this under siege incident. And he said, "Well, I only fight to the death." And all of them, Gene first said, okay. <laughs> and he never fought one of them. He didn't want any of those guys. Those guys were stone killers. What about, uh, you told me one time about a story about him and the sheep. Tell me the story. <laughs> well, the, 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 you know, once again, Andre really, really liked being around Jack and I, and I. And he would talk wrestling a lot. I mean, not professional wrestling or anything, but he would talk like fighting, you know, and like shooting wrestling, you know. 
and a boss you think i'd done any good well hell you uh, you know when it was unlimited he, he would he would have been you know like chris taylor you know he'd been undefeated and then he started having a damn weight weight limit but andre andre would have been great because he's so damn agile people forget what kind of athlete this man truly was i've seen him jump over the top ropes i've seen him uh do all kind of stuff in the ring but one night uh we come in and and Iron Sheik is in the in the state uh, of Florida in Florida Championship Wrestling there, and he's working working the loop for us for a couple of weeks. So uh, he had just left, I think uh, Minnesota or somewhere like that, and had had a little issues with Andre. And Andre didn't like him because Andre thought that Sheik was a bully, and I love Sheik to death as you do, you know. And, He's the furthest thing away from a bully. He's a, he's a, he's a pussycat, <laughs> really, you know, but he's a good guy. He had that tough reputation. And a lot of times when you have that tough rep, reputation and you just get a little stiff on somebody, then somebody's pointing the fingers at you. Hey, you guy tried to stiff me, you know? So the word got out to Andre that, and, uh, that uh, Sheik was a bully. So we're in Bayfront's there. Bayfront's there here in Tampa was our biggest building, was our, was our money show. It was like, like uh, the Madison Square Garden uh, in, in, in Florida, you know, uh, the Bayfront Center. We're all sitting in the dressing room. Andre uh, slides his chair over to Jack and I's locker and he said, hey boss, watch the match tonight. And he starts asking us, how do you go into, how do you go into a, a Nelson, you know, when a guy, and when so, we're telling him he's wanting to show him, and neither one, Jack and I, neither one, you know, going to get up and try to put a half Nelson on Andre, you know. So we're just telling him, we're, we're verbally telling him how to do it. He said, Watch this match tonight, boss. So, uh, you know, we, we, Andre goes out for his match against the Iron Sheep, and uh, they're supposed to go about, about seven, eight, nine minutes. So, uh, Andre gets out there and that bell rings and we're all gathered around the curtain. You know, back in the old days, everybody used to get around the curtain and watch a match. Well, by now the entire dressing room knows some shit's gonna happen. And it's the same on the other side. I don't know if the referee went over and told him or if Arn Sheik was just pooping his pants and soling his pants and said, hey, I'm afraid, I think I'm gonna get the crap beat out of me tonight. Plus, everybody wanted to see if Andre could really beat the crap out of the Iron Sheik. So. Sheik was so tough. So he goes out, bell rings, the curtain, backstage curtains are full. Everybody's standing around, bell ring, ding, ding, ding. Like I said, they're supposed to go seven, eight, nine minutes for Andre going over, of course. So it starts out, Sheik comes up, you know, Sheik's doing this stuff, his gimmick, and Andre just does a one, two, three step, and he's in, you know, right in, right in Sheik's corner by the time he takes three steps. So Sheik can't move. So Andre, uh, they go to lock up. When when they go to lock up, Andre locks up with him. And and John, you, you know yourself. You can see when somebody locks up in a working lockup, and when somebody locks up in a tight lockup. Andre locked up. Sheik's legs literally started going like this as he was getting smarter. He fell right straight to the ground because when he locked up. Andre headbutted the damn guy. So there, he's down on the mat now, and I mean, he's dizzy. And Andre, Andre's walking around him like, get up. Well, hell, you just headbutted the guy, knocked him in the Lulu land. You know, he can't get up. So 
Referee finally does his job, gets him back. She gets back to, to his deal. Andre rushes over to Sheik in his corner. He grabbed him like a normal old-fashioned bills. I don't guess they do anymore. But he grabbed him under the arm, over the head, and he, mind you, he's in the turnbuckle here, and he takes one step, and he tosses Sheik, and Sheik, Sheik's back then you had those old, old can lights hanging down for for ring lighting. So his uh, Sheik's feet almost hit those damn can lights, and he hits a mat. You could just hear it, boom, boom, boom. And you could hear Andre, get up, get up. And Sheik isn't moving this time. So Andre goes over, just puts his foot on him. One, two, three. Well, that's not enough for Andre. Andre picks him up now, picks him up in a full press, just like this, and heaves him, heaves him from the center of the ring out the aisleway where the hills come in about halfway down that aisleway. And Sheik's laying there just shaking. <laughs> Just, just shaking like he, like he knocked senseless. And the referee goes out, and after he raises Andre's hand, Andre comes back and all the guys, hey, man, that was awesome. You know, <laughs> Andre comes over to Jack and I, what do you think, boss? Think I could be a wrestler? <laughs> anything you want to be, Andre. What What did Sheik do? I mean, did Sheik ever say anything about it? What, what was Sheik's response? Sheik never said a word. I mean, Sheik, the next day, we had TV, or, uh, not the next day, but two days later, we were all in Tampa, and, and we, we had a dressing room where you're, basically uh, we all dressed together there. And so Andre was still in the territory, and uh, Sheik came in. Andre just sat in his corner like nothing ever. I mean, it was nothing to Andre. I mean, it was just whatever in his mind that clicked that night was gone. And he was, he was just good old Andre. She comes in, he's scared to death to come in the locker room. Finally, one of the referees, Stu Swartz has to come over and say, Andre, she wants to come into the locker room. <laughs> Can he come in? Kind of like when you guys used to kick guys out of our locker room. You know, they had to ask permission to come back in. So I'm not saying you were like Andre and being a bully or anything, because God knows you were never a bully. You know, <laughs> you were a badass, but you were never a bully. So anyway, the referee comes over and hey, can she come in the locker room and Andre? Sure, ball, sure. So she comes in, he sets as far away from Andre as he possibly can in the locker room. Fortunately, they're not working together that night. So Sheik didn't say a word, so next day we're doing TV. Andre's gone. He don't have to do TV because he's out of the loop. Uh, that he's just there for that week, and he's, he's not doing the loop, so he don't have TV to make. So we're all there doing TV. So I, I'm, I'm, I want to know. You know, <laughs> I want to know what's going on. So I went over to Sheik. <coughs> Sheik, what happened in St. Petersburg? Why the heat? I don't know, baby, he said, uh, Andre the Giant, he thinks I'm a bully. He told me I'm a bully and he's gonna beat the shit out of me every time. Please, ball, please don't book me again with uh, with Andre when he comes back into town. Please, I'll put anybody over, you know. So uh, we worked out a deal where we wouldn't book him against Andre anymore, even though everybody wanted us to do it just to see the excitement. Was she, uh, was he a bully or was he just stiff? Uh, uh, no, Sheik, Sheik would just, Sheik was a great wrestler. And I, and as you know, uh, when you, as you know, you're a great wrestler. When you're, when you're damn good or tough ass wrestler, like, like the Sheik and some of the other guys, you get a little stiff on the guy and you get, all of a sudden you're getting a bad reputation that you're stiff and everything. The Sheik just was one of those guys that would 
that worked snug. You knew where he was all the time because he was a snug worker and it wasn't because he was trying to, I mean, if he wanted to shoot on somebody, I, I don't think there would be too many guys. Andre would be one of them that she could not be, but uh, there wasn't she, too many she, she guys. Legit, that, right? That, pardon? Sheik was legit, right? I mean, he was a- Sheik, oh yeah, he was on the, actually on the Iranian Olympic Greco team and he was brought over. By you've been in the, uh, the Iowa Hall of Fame. You left your phone on the table and uh, <laughs> sent messages from Waterloo, Iowa. But uh, the guy who who brought Sheik over, Alan Rice, he has a wing, the Greco-Roman wing, named after after him. He brought he actually brought Sheik over uh, uh, to coach the U.S. He he spotted him over in and Iran, and Sheik would walk down Iran really bad because bad things were happening over there, and so. Alan Rice said, I'll bring you over if you'll coach the United States Greco-Roman team. So Alan Rice was a respectable citizen and a very wealthy citizen. He wrote the check out and uh, going through the government procedures. And actually, he was the one that brought the Iron Sheik into the United States. And he coached the United States Olympic wrestling team for I think two cycles, and then he was, you know, he wanted to make some more money, and Vern Gagne and, and Alan Rice were good friends, so Vern went to Alan, and Alan kind of went to Vern and said, hey, I got this Iranian guy, you know, and it was during the time where Iran and America was doing one of their things, and he'd be a great, great, great character for you. So that's basically how the Iron Sheik even got into professional wrestling was through this Alan Rice, this guy that was a great supporter of the United States wrestling uh, Greco team. And Sheik was a coach for two cycles of the Greco-Roman USA team. USA uh, Olympic team, yes. And he put on training camps and training seminars and everything in Greco-Roman. Greco-Roman was just starting to catch on in the United States. Well, Greco-Roman's the oldest form of wrestling, and it was you know worldwide, like especially in those uh, 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 countries like Iran, Iraq, and uh, Saudi over there, all, all those countries, that, that's your specialty is, is, is Greco. And now it's back at the freestyle, but back in those days, it was Greco. United States, it was just starting to get that groundswell where it was starting to grow, and not many people knew enough. Alan Rice was a visionary in, in amateur wrestling, and he saw, hey, man, this guy would be a good coach over there because Sheik had had a little, even when he came over, he, he spoke the same way as he does now, just a little broken English, you know, and, and where you get just done. But if, from what I understand, he coached Brad Reagan, as a matter of fact. Oh, Did I you know, know that? that. Iron Sheik was Brad Reagan's coach. Yeah, for those that don't know, Brad Reagan has trained me. He trained uh, Brock Lesnar. He trained uh, Vader. He trained a bunch. Brad, at one time, was the best trainer in wrestling. Uh, at one time he was, and he probably still could be if he wanted to be. Yeah, he still could be if he wanted to be. He was on the Olympic team, the 82 Olympic team, I think it was, that the United States boycotted. And they had a big ceremony for him a few years ago, and I was invited. And Brad Brad asked me to sit at his table, and I said, man, I'm so glad you're here. Somebody that I can talk to, somebody I know. He said, Brad, you're on a team with all these guys. He said, I know, but you know what I mean. But, yeah, she coached Brad as, when Brad was coming up in Greco. Yeah, Brad was a Greco-Roman world champion, and he would have been gold medalist if they hadn't boycotted because that was a problem they had with Russia back then, and Jimmy Carter boycotted. Exactly. That's exactly right. But that, that, that's how, that's how kind of Sheik and Brad, uh, you know, they had, they had a real strong relationship, a coach-wrestler relationship. And uh, Brad kind of spoke to Vern about it, about uh, Sheik uh, coming in also. So 
Brad's partly responsible, along with Alan Rice, of getting uh, Sheik into the business. Roy Welch, after he got a little bit of Alzheimer as he got older, and you thought that Mario Galento was actually sent after you. He obviously came after you by Roy Welch uh, at yeah. one point. Yeah, Roy got dementia or Alzheimer's or whatever, and some some people, you know how it is in wrestling politics, they got in his ear and said, Jerry's gonna steal your business. So Galento had a reputation, supposed to be a tough guy. So Jerry Lawler and I had a 30 minute Broadway on Memphis TV. And we went at it pretty good. You would know if you're on TV and really get after it. And at the end of 30 minutes, you're pretty much spent. And at least I was. And uh, right. he jumped the ring. I was on one knee trying to catch my breath after the bell rang. And he hit me right behind the ear. And I thought it was Sam Bass had potatoed me until I reached <laughs> up and uh, there was goose egg behind my ear. And uh, my instincts from Salem Moran kicked in and I lunged up off of it and, and he lost his eye. Wow. Yeah. And I, I tried to go ahead and pull it all out. But, uh, oh, dear. <laughs> I, you know, I was fighting for my life. I, yeah, I, I understand. I understand. You have, you have that lump behind your ear and that instincts just can't uh, kick in and you, 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 you just go. Yeah, he was either crazy or a tough old coot because he rolled out of the ring and ran door, pushed his eye back in came back with the tire tube, you know, truckers used to check them. But then his stupidity kicked in because when you get in the room, you have to either come over the top rope or bend down sure. the him. And he bent up through him and I copped him, got the stick, and tried to kill him. He had two or 300 stitches to sew him up. And then the last we heard of him, he came to the Mid-South Coliseum, and one of the fans came and said, Galento and his wife are sitting in the second row, and his wife's got 38 in her pocketbook. And you need to be may have come back for revenge, because that was on TV, and everybody saw it. And so, Pat Malone, I don't know if you remember that. I remember that name, Pat Malone, yes. Pat was another tough old guy. Right. He uh, went in behind Pat carried a Barlow uh, hook bill and he pulled it out. He said, Mario, better make it a good shot because I'm going to throat as soon as you. And Mario and his wife got up and left, and I never heard anymore. Well, and he, Mario, he, Mario did have that reputation. I guess uh, uh, was that that was uh, obviously after he had gotten that brutal fight and that and with with Buddy Fuller and Buddy Buddy had helped just yeah. beat the holy tar out of each other. Yeah, they. Uh, but you know that was just 
their way of working hard. Right. So it wasn't a real shoot. That and, wasn't a shoot with uh, Fuller and Mario. I, I'd always heard that was, but it's good to hear that it wasn't. They just worked that stiff. Because I know with Mario, I, I was lucky because I got Mario in his later days when he came up in Oklahoma, but he was he was so old then he couldn't, he, if he tried to shoot, he wouldn't shoot very far. <laughs> yeah. But he, you know, he had no business jumping in, but, you know, he thought, well, here's this little punk. I'll jump in and nail one punch. Huh. And so what was the reaction after that fight and then the back there? I guess the boys had a completely different, different look at you at, at that time. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, they kind of thought I was crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, we were trying to kill a guy. Yeah, we would. <laughs> yeah, Andy grew up a wrestling fan in Long Island, New York, and he, um, I mean, he, I mean, he's told me the story when when he and I were just sitting around. Andy would come down to Memphis and stay at my house, and I filmed interviews with him with a little camcorder, and and uh, we talked about his whole background for I don't know how long, but he told me the whole story of how. I mean, wrestling really, really affected Andy's whole life and his whole career, because as a kid, he loved wrestling and he was a fan of Nature Boy Buddy Rogers. That's who he thought hung the moon. And he said, I used to watch him. I was so I was so enthralled watching Nature Boy Buddy Rogers. And he said, as I would watch him, even as a kid, he said, I knew I realized that he was intentionally trying to make me mad or trying to make me hate it. He said, but I still liked it. And he said, that's really what, what I wanted to do later on in my career. He said, I'm not a comedian. I've never told a joke in my life. I hate when people call me a comedian. He said, I just do, I do performance art. He said, I go and do shows. And he said, the, mo the thing I like to do most is make my audience mad like a heel or make them uncomfortable. And if you look back on it, that's what Andy always did. You never knew, you never really knew uh, what Andy was really doing because it, 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 it's like he said, he, he made you feel uncomfortable watching whatever show he was he, doing. He seemed like he was angry all the time. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, one night, uh, he, so it, once he got to be famous, he wanted to kind of live out his his childhood fantasy of being a wrestler. And he knew he wasn't physically able to do that with a man. So he started wrestling women and he started doing it in nightclubs and where he was doing his stand-up comedy shows. And he would did it on Merv Griffin. He did it on Saturday night live. And, but he told me, he said, it really wasn't just, it wasn't being received the way I wanted to be because it was never in front of wrestling fans. It was always people that were had come there to see something funny or something different, and and they just didn't get the wrestling thing, and so uh, and so he said, I always just wanted to wrestle in front of a wrestling crowd. So I went to he said I went to I think it was a show in Long Island, and uh, Vince McMahon Senior was there, and Andy approached him and told him what he'd like to do that he would like to wrestle women out of the audience at a wrestling show where all the wrestling fans would get what he was trying to do and he could be a legitimate heel. And, and he told me that Vince Sr. said, well, Andy, I'll tell you what, he said, I, I, I kind of like the idea, but he said, 
our fans are so skeptical now. He said, I'm really hesitant to involve a Hollywood actor with our shows because I think our fans would then start thinking we're all just actors. And so he kind of blew Andy off he, and, he, and he didn't, uh, you know, he didn't go for the idea. And fortunately for me, Bill Apter was, was there and he was a friend of Andy's and overheard that conversation. And he called Andy off to the side and he said, hey, he said, I got a friend of mine down in Memphis, Jerry Lawler, and they, they have their own territory down there. And he said, I'll bet if you called him, they would, they would bring you down for the idea. And so then after that, it was almost like the Elvis thing. I got a call from Bill Apter and he said, uh, hey, you ever heard of Andy Kaufman? I said, sure. I watch him every week on Taxi. He said, well, he's going to call you tomorrow. I said, what? He said, yeah, Andy Kaufman's going to call you tomorrow. He's got an idea he wants to run past you. And I didn't believe Bill. <laughs> My phone rings tomorrow and it was Andy Kaufman calling Mr. Lawler. This is Andy Kaufman. And so... That's how, that's how it all came about. Wow. And really, it did just come down to wrestle women. And he was so excited and, and he loved it the first time he did it. And then we brought him back a second time and uh, he loved that. And, and he was pretty much content just doing wrestling the women. And I sort of selfishly thought, man, <laughs> how can I get the rub off of this big Hollywood star and get something out of this deal for myself, right? So I went to Andy and I said, man, I said, you've gone about as far as you can go with wrestling women. I said, you need to have a match with a man. And he said, oh, no, no, I, I, I couldn't do that. I've been hurt or whatever. I couldn't just do it. And I said, I promise you, Andy, you and I can have a match and you'll not get hurt and it'll be the greatest thing ever. And uh, so he, he came over. I showed him how to do the pile driver. I showed him how he's going to do the suplex and all that sort of stuff. And um uh, and, and and that's just how it all went, you know. It just. Uh, it, it, how was your rela How was your relationship was, with that? Did you guys become good friends during oh, that? Great, yeah, absolutely, great friends, great friends. Yeah, he stayed. He stayed at my house, and I shot all the shot all our interviews for him with uh, my my camera, and just nobody there but me and Andy in my front room. And uh, I mean that we shot the interview there of him showing the people a bar of soap. Oh. I shot the interview of him. I shot the interview of him showing the people a, a roll of toilet paper. Yeah. Uh, Those all were the greatest, some of the greatest interviews of all yeah. time. All that time. was some of the best things oh, I've yeah. ever seen in yeah. wrestling. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. Was, and, and it got so much heat. Yeah, he and I put those interviews together right there in the front room of my house. I filmed them. And then after we only showed two, after we, we had about four done in the can and uh, after we showed the one with the toilet paper, the station yeah. manager called me up on the phone and said, Jerry, please. I said, what? He said, <laughs> he said please, no more Andy Kaufman hygiene and videos. And I said, what? <laughs> he said, yes, it is making everybody mad. And my, 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 uh, the switchboard operator is driving her crazy. That's all she gets all day long are complaints about Andy Kaufman's interviews. <laughs> Awesome. Hey, hey, how did the, how did the Letterman interview come along? And and and, uh, and uh, was David aware of what you guys were going to do? Well, it came along just out of the blue. Uh, I mean, probably about six months. See, a lot of people don't realize that um, uh, Andy and I continued to work. We had the big match with the pile drivers. He went to the hospital, stayed in the hospital for three days. And then he came back with his neck in a, you know, with his neck and uh, he stayed in the hospital with his neck in traction for three days. Then he came back with the neck brace on 
And uh, we did all of he kept coming back. He just loved it. I mean, he was so, he told me one time, he said, I would quit everything that I'm doing in Hollywood. I'd quit taxi, everything. If I could just stay involved with wrestling, that's how much he loved it. And so, um, so he, he was still coming back. I mean, I bet we had, I bet we had 20 or 30 more different kind of matches. I mean, I had a boxing match with him. Uh, I, I had Jimmy Hart managing him and then he turned on Jimmy Hart and then, then, uh, I mean, then I had matches with him and Jimmy Hart, tag, tag team matches. And then then he turned on Jimmy Hart. And I, I, I agreed to be Andy's partner against Jimmy Hart and the, and the um, uh, Assassins. And then and, and so as soon as that match started, I walked out into the ring with the Assassins. And Andy came up from behind. He'd already put powder out in his hand and tapped me on the shoulder. Boom, threw the powder in my eyes. And those guys picked me up and pile drive me. And I mean, he put out a bounty to anybody that could put me in the hospital. He'd pay him, get, pay him $10,000. We were just going back and forth with all this and drawing terrific money in Memphis. I was tickled to death. Jerry Jarrett was tickled uh-huh. to death. And then um, then all of a sudden, one day out of the blue, I get a call from Andy out in Hollywood. And he said, hey, you want to be on the David Letterman show? And I went, no, let me think about it, Andy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? sure i would so he said well we can be on there next week if you if you want to you know come up to new york and everything so uh i mean that's it we were just going to be on the david letterman show and 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 so uh i i i was just so excited never you know that may have been the first time i'd ever been to new york and um so so we get up there and uh, we have a meeting with the segment producer they take the show at 5 30 every afternoon and you have a meeting in the morning at like 1030 with a segment producer. Uh, his name was Robert Morton. And so I got there at 10, 1030 and I went into his office and he's sitting there by himself. And he said, well, Jerry, he said, I'm sorry, but Andy refused to be in the same room with you. He told me that, you know, I, I had him in here earlier and I uh, told him that you were coming. And he just left. So I told him what we're going to do. And now I'll tell you that, uh, he said he just couldn't be in the same room with me. So I said, okay. So the guy said, he said, Here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have you guys on for two segments. The first segment, Dave is going to show the film of you pile driving Andy, and he's going to show the footage of Andy making fun of women and making fun of Memphis and all this sort of stuff. And uh, he said, I'd like you guys to be a little bit antagonistic, not too much, but a little bit. And then Dave's going to take a break. And then in the second segment, you Andy will apologize to you for making fun of wrestling and you apologize to Andy for hurting his neck and then Andy's going to get up and sing what the world needs now is love sweet love so that was it and so I said okay that'll be funny so I go back to my hotel room and Andy comes over to my room we're standing at the same hotel Andy comes in and says well what do you think of what we're going to what they want us to do and I said Oh man, I said that'll that'll be funny and everything, but I said you got to realize if you and I go on TV, network TV, and kiss and make up and apologize to each other, uh, that's going to be the end of us doing anything down in Memphis. And he said, I'll never forget. He said, Man, you're right. And he just hesitated, and then he looked at me. He said, Wonder what would happen if you just hauled off and slugged me. <laughs> and I said. And I, at the time, I said, oh, Andy, I said, we, we can't do that. I said, first of all, they're taping the show at 530. They'll never show it. 
I said, second of all, I'll get arrested. And uh, I got to be back in Memphis tomorrow. You know, I, I, we, we just can't do that. And he said, yeah, you're right. But when... <laughs> For some reason, I didn't want to be a telemarketer. But anyway, I said, um, so we just went there later on thinking that um, uh, we're going to do what Robert Morton said. And um, so we got out there for the first segment and, you know, it, it, we, he showed the film of me pile driving him and we, we got a little bit antagonistic. That's where I told him, I said, you know, his mother wanted a the girl and his father wanted a boy and they were both satisfied. And so just, you know, some different insults. And then I found out, I didn't know at the time, but I found out later during that show why he wanted us to be a little antagonistic. Because I think it got down to the point where Andy said, well, I could have sued you, but I'm not that kind of guy. And I looked at him and said, what kind of guy are you? And at that point, Dave, I looked over at Dave and he's looking down under his desk for something with his foot. And, and all of a sudden they had a ring bell underneath this, underneath this table. And he's, he's <laughs> kicking it with his foot, right? And it goes, ding, 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 ding. Said, well, we're going we're gonna to take a, take a break here and uh, kind of get things. We may have to get the hoses out and everything, but we'll be back with Jerry Lawler and Andy Kaufman right after this. So we go to the break and Andy jumps up and walks away. He would not even, he would not even sit there beside me while, uh, while we're at break. And I'll never forget what, during the break, Dave Letterman leans over and says, uh, did you know that I got started out in wrestling? I used to be the ring announcer for Dick the Bruiser up in Indianapolis. I said, no. I, yeah. He said, no, I never knew that. He said, yeah, sure did. He said, yeah, I was at uh, all the Bruiser shows up there. So anyway, there's like 10, 9, 8. He comes. Uh, are you still there? Yep, we're still yeah. there. We ain't going anywhere. <laughs> okay. So anyway, uh, he, he comes back over and sits down. And um, so we, we started talking again, insulting each other and everything. And it just went on and on and on. And he never apologized to me. And I never apologized to him. And we just kept arguing back and forth. And, and, and I'm waiting any minute for him to apologize. And then finally, I guess we've just been out there so long that Dave, Dave realized, well, you know, this ain't going as planned. This has kind of gone off the track, so I'm going to have to take a break. It was time to take a break and get that segment over with, right? And so uh, he said, well, guys, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get this straightened out, but right now we're going we're gonna to take a, we're gonna have to take a break. And so Paul Schaefer started playing the music. And I swear to God, Dave didn't know. Andy didn't know, and I didn't know. I just, when I heard that music, I realized this is it. This is it. We're off. This is our second segment, and we're done. And I just stood up, looked Andy right in the eyes to try to give him a little hint of what was coming. <laughs> and I just, I just hauled off and slapped the snot out of him, knocked wow. him right, right out of his chair. And, uh, and I mean, I slapped him as hard as I could, knocked him out of his chair. So Andy didn't know, and Dave didn't know nothing. You just decided this. I'm calling an ad lib here. I'm I going into business <laughs> at, the, at the very last second, spur of the moment, and that's that's how it went went down. You felt it, it. <laughs> and then Andy went crazy after that, right? He went off yes, and grabbed it. They they took me. The security took me back to the green room, 
And, you know, it's only a two minute break when you're watching it on TV for commercials, but actually they shut down taping for about 15 minutes. And I don't know if they were talking about what to do, what we should, what the world, how should we show that? Should we arrest this guy? What should we do? Right. And I'm sitting in the green room by myself and 15 minutes goes by. At first I would hear women screaming and stuff out there and everything. And I go, Jesus Christ, I think this is, they're going a little overboard with this. Right. So finally everything quieted down and the door kind of peeked open and there was this little guy and he said, uh, it was like an intern and he said, Mr. Lawler, uh, Dave wants to know if you'll come back out and sort of wrap things up on this segment. <laughs> I said, I'll be glad to. And so then, right then I knew they're going to show that or well that yeah, I thought also yeah. I said, well, they may want us to try to redo that second segment. But then when I got out there and sat down, Andy was over on the side where that, that far door over there, they've seen the show where they, where they come and go out of, and he's holding the side of his head. And, uh, and they started counting the countdown, five, four. And Andy, Dave says, Andy, are you going to come back out here? And he says, no, if I do, I'll say words you can't say on television. So, boom, we're back on the air. And Dave said, well, we're back. And Jerry Lawler's here. And uh, Andy's here, sort of. And some nights I wish Tom Snyder was still here. Which <laughs> he, would, you know, he, used, he used to have the show before Dave. And he right. said, but that's not the case now. All of a sudden, here, here comes Andy in over Dave's shoulder, and he starts pounding the desk, and he let loose with the most unbelievable tirade of cussing. I mean, MF, CS, uh, I mean, everything you can think of, he is cussing me out like a dog. And I'm looking at him like, what the, Andy, come on, what are you doing? I mean, they're, they're obviously going to show the slap, but there's no way they can show this. Right. And so I leaned back in my chair to try to show him with my body language that what you're doing is not cool. Right. And I crossed my legs. Uh, and then he just got madder and he grabbed Dave's coffee and like, threw. but he did like I did with a slap. He grabbed Dave's coffee and he looked me in the eyes. And, just like, <laughs> and then gave me, gave me time to move out of the way. <laughs> and then, uh, then I jumped up at him again and they, he took off the security came and got me. And, uh, and Dave just wrapped up that segment with the great, greatest line ever, Dave said. And he was clearing the coffee away in his papers. And he said, well, I think you could say some of those words on television. I've said it a thousand times. What you cannot do is throw coffee. So, so anyway, that was the end of that segment. And then um, I, the, the security guard got me out onto the elevator, took me downstairs took me right back to my hotel room. I didn't see Andy or anybody or didn't hear from anybody until 1130 that night when the show came on. I turned the TV on and they showed every bit of it, everything. The only thing when the, when the cussing came on, you could, you could read Andy's lips so well, uh, but they put in, instead of beeping it out, they made it even better. They put in the sound of like a cuckoo clock. So Andy was going, and then we go cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. And it, it, it was just, it was unbelievable. I mean, as soon as that was over, New York Post, New York Times, uh, every, I mean, news people, everybody started calling immediately. And the coolest thing to me ever was the next morning, Bill After picked me up from the hotel and he was going to drive me around. He took pictures of me at the Statue of Liberty and the Empire State Building and 
was driving me around uh, to do a like a photo shoot for the magazine that was coming out next month. And as we're driving in the taxi cab down, down, I don't know what street it was in Manhattan, but I looked over and I saw Dangerfields, Rodney Dangerfields um, restaurant. And of course, like I said, it was about 1030 in the morning or whatever. And I said, oh my gosh, Dangerfields, I, I would love to go there. And it said appearing tonight, like Red Fox. And, and, and Bill said, hey, hey, pull over, pull over. So he told the guy to pull over and he said, I'm gonna run in and see uh, he said, sometimes, even though Red Fox is here, sometimes uh, uh, Rodney Dangerfield will be here as well. And he'll just like come out and introduce uh, the acts, you know. So he goes inside to see if Rodney's going to be there that night. And all of a sudden he comes out and he's like, oh my gosh, come on. You're not going to believe this. I said, what, what? He said, Rodney's in there right now and he wants to see you so bad. Wow. I jump out, I go in, here's Rodney Dangerfield in a bathrobe uh, and a hot looking girl beside him, 10.30 in the morning, he's in a bathrobe sitting at his bar and I come walking in and he's, Wait a minute. he's in a bathrobe at his bar? Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm not going to say anything. With, a, with, a, with, a hot looking, with a hot looking chick sitting right beside him. And so, uh, I mean, it was like he was on stage. He goes, oh my God. That was the greatest thing I've ever seen last night. Oh, my God. That was the greatest thing I've ever seen on television. And apparently, Andy's manager, George Shapiro, is also Rodney Dangerfield's manager. So he was he was watching that, and he was good friends with Andy. He had had Andy in his club before. But, yeah, he was he was just all over that. He said that was the greatest thing he had ever seen on television, ever. So when, when they took you out after the, the segment was over, you didn't meet with Letterman or any of the people? Oh, no. no. The matter of fact, the, never forget, the security guard got me in into the elevator and pushed the button down. And he said, I want to get you out of this building because Kaufman will have you arrested. He, he said, his elevator, I swear to the guy said, his elevator don't go all the way to the top floor. So let me get you out of here. <laughs> so he got wow. me down and took me back to my hotel. Did, I saw Jerry were one time, Letterman later told you when you met him later that that was the one time that he felt like he lost complete control of, of a show. And here, here's a guy who had been involved in, in a way as an announcer with wrestling and everything. But yeah. And, and he also told me too, he said for years, we referred to that as the famous show. And I said, <laughs> what do you mean by that? And he said, well, he said, that show made us famous. He said that, that show, that episode made us famous. He said, I'd already had two other shows on network TV that had gotten canceled. And he said, if I'd gotten canceled from this, he said, I'd, my career would have been shot. And he said, that show put us on the map. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So he basically, he basically gave you credit for saving his career. Yeah, that's what, sort of awesome. what it sounded like. <laughs> Did you talk to Letterman after it? I know you filmed the the, the show about Andy, uh, the movie uh, with Jim Carrey. But did you talk to Letterman during that time, Aaron, any, any during that time to get his take on it? No, never did. Never did get to talk to him. The next time I talked to him was the uh, the doing the film with Jim Carrey, and that's when he told me that about the, that they referred to it as the famous show and and all, and all that. Stuff.